This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. So before the service, I uh, checked with Sue, one of our elders, well, yeah, whether my mascara was all over the place because I felt a bit tearful in the prayer meeting and then God just broke me in the corner there. And he's breaking me today and he's making me, he's challenged me to become more available to be broken in front of you and to be a mess. So I'm sorry if I look like a panda right now. Um, But I am broken on the inside. I brought a tissue up because I think I'm going to need it. Because God has, gosh, you couldn't have chosen a better set of songs to take us on the journey we are going on right now. And God has spoken to my heart in a way that... I didn't even realise earlier in the week I was talking about my message and I didn't know what I had and I now see it so strongly and I saw it this morning because God loves us so much and there are people here who don't believe that. There are people watching who don't believe that. You do, you think you do, but you don't because you can't sing you are good. Good. Oh, oh. You can't sing you are good. You, 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 you've got to the point where you're like, I'm not sure because I don't live in the goodness of God. I don't feel the goodness of God. And I believe that's the message he's going to bring through the, the word today. So I wanted to get straight into it this morning. And I'm just going to pray right now. Lord, I pray that you will minister to hearts in this place. Lord God, that you will give a revelation, Lord Jesus, of yourself to people who are here or who even have come late. And for those who are watching online, Lord God, I pray for those who are in the sound of my voice this morning, Lord God, that they will have a revelation of you, Jesus, and your love, your love that poured out on that cross for us, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, that we will understand goodness from your point of view and that we will understand what it is to be the people of God that are chased down and found by you Jesus and I pray Jesus for those whose hearts are broken and who can't see their way through right now they're in like a a a thorny place right now Lord God they see thorns in every direction everything feels sharp and scary and And like it might make them bleed, Lord God. And I thank you for the thorny crown that Jesus wore on his head. He's taken the blood. He's taken, he's he's poured out his own blood. He's taken the, the pain. And I just pray, Lord God, that as they reach out, they will find themselves pulled out of that thicket, Lord God. And they will find themselves in your arms this morning. And I pray there is not a single person who hears this word and doesn't find peace in your arms. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
wow, I mean, just literally didn't know I had something so exciting to share with you. So let's get into it. Luke 15, 1 to 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So verses 1 and 2, if they're still on the screen or could be popped back up, that'd be awesome, show that Jesus' teaching was far-reaching. He wasn't preaching to the religious community. He was talking to the everyday person, or perhaps even the more rejected people. And he was reaching the people whose life choices were taking them far away from the Father. Now, last week, you might remember my message on salt, and Jesus ended his teaching on being salt in chapter 14, and this is what he said at the very end of his teaching. He said, chapter 14, verse 35, you don't have it on a slide, don't worry. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now we read in verse 1, chapter 15, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. You see, the tax collectors and sinners were those who had ears to hear. He he who has ears to hear, let him hear. They were the ones. They were the ones open to learning. And for you Christian believers listening to this, please notice, Jesus' teaching that we learned about last week was a challenging teaching on walking out spiritually aligned living trust in God. It was about commitment. It was about discipleship. It was a discipleship type training. It was challenging, but it didn't drive folk away. What did it do? It drew people towards him. Sometimes I think we hold back from giving a strong message or placing a strong expectation on people within our teaching thinking it will drive people away. We can't do that. It will drive people away. But what does Jesus show us? It drew, giving strong teaching drew people to him. People wanted to know more. They wanted to hear more. They wanted to grow more. People want to do that in your life. I've actually read many articles over the years, I'm quite old, that unbelievers are actually drawn to God by our commitment and authenticity within our faith. Here's a quote, I had to look for it, but I knew I'd read it somewhere, from an atheist called Penn Gillette. He's of the magician duo that you might have seen, Penn and Teller. He's the one that talks. (laughs) Okay, and this is what he says. I don't respect people who don't proselytize. That means give your religion to other people, try and get them to commit to your religion. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there is a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, 
How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? And he goes on to say, I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. Now, that man remains an atheist, so somebody's not tackling him hard enough, I think. But, but wow. And I said to Mark, I've got a huge quote from an atheist uh, in my sermon. <laughs> and I think it's appropriate because we need to hear what they say. They actually think it's not worth listening to if we don't think it's worth listening to. So today's first challenge to us is to realise that when we water down our message or our faith, we are not doing anybody any favours. And Penn makes it clear that in his opinion, we gain more respect if we don't hold back. It's either true or it's not. And if it's true, then we have to be honest about this or others, those we love, will actually be lost in eternity. And that is the truth. I think this also transfers, just let me just slightly wander away a bit, but it transfers into making our commitment to Jesus first in everything. For example, when unbelieving family or friends visit you on a Sunday or over a weekend, you still go to church on the Sunday morning. You prioritise it. Not because it's a religious act, but because it's that important to you. It tells the unbeliever... Jesus first. Love you. See you later. Still going to church. Jesus first. It tells the unbeliever, my faith is in something real and true. It's not something I take lightly. In fact, it's so important to me that I arrange my choices around my devotion to God. I don't arrange my devotion to God around my choices. And this is a challenge to us believers. And I've only just begun today, so let's see where we go. But I have to say, it's something that God's been laying on my heart, and I haven't done the post on Facebook yet, but those of you who are with me on Facebook can see it sometime very soon, I'm sure, because it's, it's churning. Um, and God has been laying on my heart at the start of this year to be more authentic, to be more fully me. Um, I'll share a lot of dog training things on Facebook. I don't share a lot of Jesus stuff, I have to be honest. Some of it for several reasons. Some of it because I don't find something easy to share and I'd have to write it myself in order to feel I could, could confidently share it. I have to say there's lots of reasons. But I need to be more fully me. There has to be a more equal representation of me on social media. That's how I feel. I use social media a lot. And maybe it's because I'm turning 50 next month. Maybe that's happened because I'm having one of those midlife crises we all have to face, don't we, Steve? <laughs> Happy birthday for last week! Woo! <laughs> I wasn't going to let you get away with it. No, can't let you get away with it. Okay. Actually, I will say that it does generally get easier, and I think most people around my age might say, it gets easier to be more honest about yourself, to be more secure in your faith, to, to share a bit more openly, to not care what someone else thinks sometimes. It gets a bit easier as you get older. But young people, <laughs> and they're around the room just looking for them, young people, I want you to know you can get really good at it already, okay? So don't put yourselves out of it, okay? There are lots of young people that make a big difference in the world because they stand up and say what they believe. So we call it sometimes practicing Christians. 
So let's practice being a Christian by being honest about our beliefs with others because it's literally the commission we all have over our lives. We might not know where we should serve in a church. We might not know what we should be doing day to day or what work we should do. But I'll tell you what you do know. Jesus said this. He said, be honest about him and his salvation. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And I am reading from the Amplified. Jesus came up and said to them, all authority, that's all power of absolute rule, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. And this is what he meant by that. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me, and obey my words. Just help them know of me. Help them learn of me. Help them obey my words. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of circumstance. And on every occasion, even to the end of the age. In today's passage that we read earlier in Luke 15, we read that the Pharisees and scribes were again grumbling. They were rubbed up the wrong way by Jesus' ministry again. Because Jesus seemed to accept these sinners so easily in his inner crowd. They're close to him listening. The Pharisees and scribes thought that to stay holy... To be clean, they couldn't mix with unholy and spiritually unclean or failing individuals. But Jesus was turning this thinking on its head. Jesus was mixing with the unclean, the unholy, the naughty. That's the tax collectors, by the way. Uh, And the sinners. And he was even physically touching the sick. I mean, that was a shocking thing to do. He was completely ignoring the Pharisee rules on cleanliness. And that would have been an an affront to them. So fair enough that they're grumbling. But it occurs to me that the Pharisees themselves were so caught up in their religious ways that they might not have been able to distinguish between what God actually said about cleanliness because they had built something upon an original teaching but they had built it out of all recognition again because they had created these cleanliness rules and these things that they had created from what God originally said. And I don't think they could distinguish it anymore. They didn't know how to be holy and acceptable to God except for through the rituals that that had been created over the years. Now, we read in the Gospels and notice the Pharisees always seem to be annoyed with Jesus. And I think it's perhaps because his compassion and his ease with his own holiness alongside sinners and sick people challenge them deep down in their spirit. You see, I think sometimes, especially in church, we imagine Pharisees and scribes a bit like dastardly and muttly. (laughs) I can't do it. Cartoon baddies about, they're out to disrupt and interrupt Jesus. That's what they are, aren't they? Pharisees and scribes are cartoon baddies, let's be honest. But they were as much human as you or I. And they had feelings and they had a conscience They had trained themselves to obey a stringent set of rules and they felt safe within that. But I am sure that occasionally they saw a sick person struggling or someone who needed help and they had the odd twinge of human compassion that rise up in them. I can't imagine a human being can't have that. I mean, maybe that's just me, but I can't see that they could exist without having a little bit of that come up. 
And I'm sure Jesus' behaviour equally challenged and frustrated them because they were trying to work out their salvation. So I want to be kind to Pharisees in this morning's message because I actually believe they were as lost, even more lost, than the sinners and the tax collectors that were gathering to hear. So what I find interesting is we read that there's a grumbling of Pharisees after Jesus has talked about salt And then he goes on talking about lost sheep. So in the middle, we read that the Pharisees were grumbling. And I think we can see within it that Jesus is offering solutions, actually, for the Pharisees within his teaching. Because he's teaching them both to be holy, like pure salt, and be compassionate, like the shepherd who goes to rescue the one lost sheep. He's always teaching the whole crowd around him. He's always aware of those on the periphery, those hanging out by the coffee machine, those who are hanging out in the in the outside. They're just below and the windows are open and they can just hear. He's always aware aware of them. He is aware of them. And he's teaching them as much as anyone else. Isn't he awesome? I love how Jesus just knows and he loves us so much that his teaching goes out and gets everyone For the Pharisees, there's a message, a really strong message, and perhaps it's for some of us here today, keeping their salt pure so that it is useful, not for purity's sake. That's last week, if you haven't heard it. And there is permission to be compassionate in today's parable about the sheep. So let's look at that parable that I think we all know so well. Luke 15, verse 4 to 6. I'm going to read it again just to remind you because I've gone on and on. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country? And that's the song that finished me. No, it's not. No, they all finished me. And go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Sheep are flock animals. They feel safe, close to other sheep. And they are frightened and anxious when they are separated from the flock. A separated sheep is unlikely to find its own way back to the flock. And therefore, if the shepherd didn't go after it, it would probably meet a very nasty end. The religious view of Pharisees and the religious teachers of the time was that God would receive a sinner. He would receive a sinner, a lost sheep, if the sinner came to God in the right way. Wash this, do that, sacrifice this, you're in. But in this parable, Jesus tells of the shepherd going out and looking for the lost sheep, showing that God actively seeks those who are lost. The lost don't have to find God. God finds them. And even now in our modern thinking, we often say, you know, that the sinner found God. That person we've been praying for, they found God at last. They found God. But it's actually God who finds the sinner. People, when they come to Christ, say, I found God. No, you didn't. God found you. Amazing Grace has it, right? The lyric says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. God found you. You didn't find God. And this is what's been breaking me this morning. This has been breaking me. So please take it in. Jesus taught that God searches for people. 
This was a complete opposite way of thinking to the Jewish believer who thought it was only those who search for God, wise men still seek him, who could enter the kingdom. But God searches for them. John 15 verse 16, Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. He chose us. He found us. Isn't it awesome to think that God notices us? He notices you. And when you're getting lost, he goes out of his way to find you, to bring you back to the safe place. And in the parable, the shepherd carries the sheep back to the flock. He doesn't usher it. Come on, this way. He doesn't put a lead on it and drag. He picks it up and he carries it. It requires no power, strength or ability on the sheep's part. Just simple surrender to being lifted up and carried back. What a picture. This, of course, is exactly what Jesus did for us when he saved us through his death and resurrection. And Michelle started the service with this scripture. Romans 5, verse 6 from the Amplified. While we were still helpless, powerless to provide for our salvation, at the right time, Christ died as a substitute for the ungodly. We were powerless. We bring nothing It doesn't require any power. It doesn't require anything from you. Jesus carried us to salvation on his shoulders when he took the weight of our sins upon himself on the cross. He took every reason for us to be separated from God away. And he made the way back to God super easy. And I think that's why I'm so upset this morning because people just miss it. There's no huge effort from us. Nothing is required to gain this salvation except submission. Just let him lift you. And then the shepherd is described as rejoicing in Luke 15, verse 6. When he comes home, the shepherd, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, sent them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Look, I found Lydia. Look, she was lost. I'm so happy she's back. Look, everybody, Lydia's home. Put your own name in. In the context of the telling of this story, we can see a really sharp contrast to the grumbling reaction of the Pharisees and the scribes when they see the sinners drawing near to God and what the shepherd does in the story. He rejoices. God doesn't sit and grumble and wait for people on his throne to come and find him. He goes out and he finds the lost. And as he carries them home, he reacts with loud rejoicing. Just think about that for a moment. Jesus closes off this parable with this phrase. Verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The lost sheep in the story did nothing to be saved. It only submitted to the arms of the shepherd. And we are saved when we submit to the open saving arms of Jesus on the cross through repentance, that big, holy, Christian, ugly word. It's kind of ugly, isn't it, for some reason? We've made it ugly because we've shouted it from street corners in a weird way, like it was some sort of slap. Repent! (laughs) 
Repent just means you're facing this way, you're doing this, and you decide to go that way. That's all repent means. It shouldn't feel like a slap. Repent just means turn around, go in a different direction. You know, I haven't got it in my, in my words here, so I'm just going off script here. Um, we, uh, there's a saying, isn't there, that the definition of madness is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Well, if you've been doing the same thing and expecting a different result for a long time, maybe today you need to turn and do something different. That's what repentance is. It's just literally turning and doing it differently, going in a different direction. We repent when we turn away from our way of doing things and fixing it all, to going God's ways. We repent when we leave behind the lifestyles that are drawing us away from God's presence and causing us to be spiritually lost. And we stick with Jesus. That's repentance. And allow him to lift us and carry us forwards. Repentance is literally submission. Last week marked five years since my brother-in-law and very dear friend, Nick Blackman, died. His last words were said late during the night of the 5th of January. And he said something like, (laughs) I can't quote it perfectly, (laughs) something like, I've cracked it. You just need to submit everything to God. He was reading Romans 8. I encourage you to go and read Romans 8. And then you'll see why. He cracked it. You just need to submit everything to God. It's like he had a fresh revelation of the meaning of life as he passed. The secret to life in all its fullness is submitting everything to God. Literally everything. You know, if we did this with absolutely everything, say everything. There, I woke you up. It would all work out, you know. It would. If you submit everything, it will work out. Without you worrying or fretting or planning or scheming or stressing or fighting, it will work out. That, I think, is the revelation. Only in submitting it all to God can you be sure of success. It's all God's, and all you can do is submit, allowing him to lift you and carry you forward. So, I want to give us a chance this morning to repent, to just turn, to turn again for some of us, to turn for the first time for others of us, to turn our lives upon Jesus, our eyes upon Jesus, to turn to him and to decide to submit everything to him through the act of communion. So I'm going to ask the musicians, sorry words, musicians to return. And actually, as the musicians play, I want you just to take a moment, take some time in your mind, Let God speak directly into your heart today. You may sing along or you may just sit quietly or you may stand quietly. Let him minister to your heart and mind. Then when I come back, we will talk about pray and receive and take communion together as an act of repentance and submission to his ways together. So let's just take a moment with God first.